Good afternoon and welcome to Stories in Public Health. I'm your host, Emily Dieter, and today we're going to be interviewing Associate Professor Munjed Almadiris, who's an orthopaedic surgeon, author and human rights activist. He's also a clinical lecturer at Macquarie University. He's a pioneer in prosthetics. He was born in Iraq and he's also authored a book called Walking Free. He's very busy, so we're very privileged to have him here today. Thank you, welcome for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me to your show, Emily. No problem. And today we're also lucky enough to have Paige Murphy with us. She's studying a Master's of Public Health at Macquarie University and she's my new podcast assistant who's going to be assisting with interviews for the next couple of months. Welcome, Paige. Thank you. So I might start with what first got you interested in medicine and working in the health field. My first time thinking about medicine was uh, when I was a teenager, basically. I, I was brought up in Iraq, in Baghdad. That country have suffered from a lot of miseries due to wars and uh, I've seen a lot of injured people. I come from a family that half of them were doctors and the other half were lawyers, which um, was a, a very contrast combination of uh, people where they don't mix, basically. So uh, I chose to be on the, the, the bright side of the family. <laughs> so um, at the age of 14, I watched The Terminator, the movie that um, inspired me to become a doctor and to uh, do robotics. And ironically, that movie, the whole idea behind it was not to make Terminators, but I always had a dream of um, making half human, half machine, and I pursued my dream through medical school and thanks to be being here in Australia I managed to uh, make that happen. And so maybe you could just tell us a little bit more about the prosthetics that you do. So as you mentioned it, it incorporates robotics as well but from my understanding from what I've read is that people can actually control them with their mind, is that right? Well what I do is, is a procedure that's called osseointegration surgery and that involves uh, many aspects. Um, the first thing is by um, attaching a high tensile strength titanium implant into the um, residual bone uh, of an amputated limb and in upper limbs uh, we connect the nerves that um, were supposed to control the muscles that operate the hand. Um, these nerves, we um, redirect them to muscles that are not used anymore due to the amputation and make these muscles as amplifiers where we have implantable electrodes into the arm and um, these wires will be connected to a robotic arm. So uh, it's uh, very close to science fiction but uh, basically the patient think about moving a finger and the finger moves. Think about moving an arm, the arm will move and um, basically uh, the whole aim is to restore mobility to as close as possible as normality. Wow, you must be really smart. I don't think I'm very smart, <laughs> but I do have a lot of passion about what I do and I'm very determined uh, yeah. to do it. It is very outside the box and it is cutting edge technology and it's innovative and you face a lot of uh, difficulties in, in doing such uh, thing. What kind of difficulties? Well, the, there are many aspects that I faced and I continue to face of uh, difficulties and hardship. Number one is the challenging the establishment and challenging mm. the norm. Unfortunately and sadly, the way we are trained, we always get told from day one to you know, fly under the radar, mm. don't ruffle any feathers and follow the books. Funny enough, the books by the time they get printed, they are 20 years old. So uh, obviously any people that think outside the box, they become a tall poppy. Mm. There is uh, significant antagonism against people who uh, try to do something different. Um, and I understand that people might be conservative and might be protective, 
but sometimes it get taken to a different level and different extent and so that's one of the difficulties that I face from day one but I'm not dissimilar to any person who came out with a new idea and tried to um, do innovative work and it's normal uh, so I have thick skin and I do what I believe in and I'm very lucky that I planned my work and uh, prepared it very well by doing the proper research doing the proper study, preparing all the, the groundwork for establishing a framework and basis for success for this kind of procedure. So um, we were very lucky in um, implementing a theory, um, bringing out a new technology in a field that's filled with danger and risk. It yeah. is a calculated risk, uh, but it was a measured risk. Now, OSI integration technology is becoming a standard uh, procedure that is becoming more acceptable in the world. There is no week that passed without visitors coming from all around the world to um, learn this technology, oh, take it great. back to their countries. So how many places is it available now? Well, when I started doing this technology, there were uh, only three centres. Now we have, I mean, the centres uh, that have started doing OSI integrations over 15 at the moment. Oh, and uh, the centers that planning to start OSI integrations another 15 or 20. So that makes it around very, very soon in the coming five years will be over 100 centers wow. around the world. And what was it like getting that, that whole process of getting it off the ground? How did it start with an idea? Did you apply for funding and do small studies or how does that actually work? There are many ways of implementing a new technology. Obviously, funds and money plays a major role. So I tried initially to apply for grants and get funding uh, from different organizations. Uh, that was very difficult. It was um, very lengthy and the amount of money that was available to apply for was not much. So I decided to take the risk and I funded it myself. And um, I decided to bite the bullet and um, utilize whatever funders that I have yeah. for my normal routine work uh, to fund this, uh, this project and uh, it worked and then it worked the other way around. Uh, now that we are established, we have um, over, as we speak, we have over 11 million dollars of grants that are coming yeah. <laughs> our way to keep us investing in more research yeah. and uh, development which was a very essential money that I needed yeah. to start with. But uh, obviously, ironically now, people who um, didn't look at us at the beginning, now they are throwing money at us yeah. to um, develop this project more and more. And um, we don't have any difficulty at the moment. Um, I mean, we're having grants with the Department of Defense uh, from the United States. We're having grants from the European Union. Oh. And uh, we're having local grants from Australia from different sources. Excellent. I'm glad it came together in the end. Well, look, I would say that uh, the fight continues and I believe very strongly that and there is something called the wheel of fortune and even if you are on top of the wheel, you have to be very vigilant, cautious not to slip because uh, things can change the next day and um, complacency is not one of my characters. So yeah. um, I have to keep my eyes open and make sure that we stay on top of our game and make yeah. sure that we do the right thing all the time uh, because things can change overnight. Yeah. Paige, do you have any questions? Um, my question is, what would you say to young people that have an idea in their head and they're wanting to, to get going? What would your advice be to persevere through the tough times? My advice to everybody that has an idea or have a talent is that they should pursue, uh, go with their dream 
Uh, nothing is impossible. If there is a will, there is always mean of achieving this will. Unfortunately, they will face difficulty. Nothing is easy in life. Everything is comes with hardship and everything comes with, with pressure and everything comes with trouble, but that trouble is worth going through. The minute I die is the minute that I give up. The way I advise my students, uh, my fellows, my registrars and uh, my researchers is that we should always continue to fight. What you dream of will come true if you work hard enough. Um, it's nothing impossible. If you plan things well and if you prepare your case and if you get on top of your knowledge and um, get the right science and if you have a good idea you believe in then you should make sure that you turn every single stone looking for answers and making your dream come true. Good question Paige. Now I mentioned in the introduction you have written a book um, and it's based on your life story which is quite inspirational. Would you mind sharing with us um, how you came to Australia from Iraq? The first book that I wrote was about walking free which is um, the journey from uh, Iraq to Australia and getting to basic doing OSI integration surgery. I'm about to uh, uh, hand over my second book, oh, great. Uh, which is um, the continuation, the journey and after the walking free. The fight continues and the struggle continues uh, and it's full of experiences. I was a different person when I was living in Iraq. I was very complacent. I brought up by a wealthy family and I didn't have any experience and didn't have any knowledge about what the future would hold for me. Um, but, uh, you know, events happened to me coming here to Australia. Uh, one day I was at the medical unit or the surgical unit in, in the medical center in Baghdad and I was uh, doing my normal day-to-day -day work mm -hmm. and uh, I was confronted with uh, three busloads of army deserters escorted by Republican guards and Ba'ath party members and they ordered us to uh, take off the ears of these army deserters and um, I couldn't do that. The head of the department refused and he was shot uh, by the um, Republican guards. I faced the most challenging decision in my life, mm. whether I should um, use and end up with a bullet in my head like my boss. Should I obey the commands and live with guilt for the rest of my life or should I escape and I decided to run away. The journey was uh, very scary and very dangerous um, and I ended up falling in the hands of people smugglers and um, I got on a boat coming to Australia and um, I ended up in Christmas Island and um, if you ask me if I was in the same position would I do it again I would say definitely I would because I mm. had no other choice. I'm not dissimilar to thousands of um, refugees that are uh, leaving their country because they're forced to leave yeah. and if I had not been exposed to danger I would not leave Iraq. I had to leave, I had no other choice. Um, I ended up in incarcerated in a detention centre in Curtin uh, detention um, I was um, marked with a permanent marker on my shoulder with the number 982 and that was my name for the rest of the time I spent in the detention centre. was completely humiliating and uh, dehumanizing. Um, I was treated uh, like an animal but um, I survived through it and um, um, I spent a lot of time in solitary confinement in a box basically because I couldn't keep my mouth shut and I was asking for our rights as human beings and then eventually I was released. I was allowed to leave the detention center and I started my life in Australia. I wasted 
almost a year in detention and I, that was too long time to waste and so um, straight away I looked for a job. My first uh, job in Australia was a toilet cleaner and I loved it. If I have to do it again, I would do it again. So uh, I think and I strongly believe that um, we all have to work, we all mm. have to be productive uh, if we can. We should not be complacent and we should not sit on our butts um, expecting um, people to look after us because we have duty in life and we have to look after uh, our family, we have to look after our community and we have to look after this country. Mm. Do you still have family back in Iraq now? Uh, majority of my family have left uh, Iraq because of the war. Um, majority of my cousins are all over the world in Europe and America and Australia and, mm. um, and they're all doing well. Oh, that's good. It must be harder from being separated though. Yeah, I mean, they're all busy with their lives and yeah. they all started their own families. I have my own family and life goes on and you start a new life in a different country and you dig roots there and that becomes home and Australia is home, Sydney is my home. And how have those experiences, how do they impact on your work or your sort of view now? Do they make you work harder or I don't know, just give you a different perspective on life from perhaps other people who've had things easy? I ask myself that question all the time is that would I prefer to be um, having a a completely different life, a Mm. very normal life and happy life that uh, doesn't involve any hardship uh, or would I prefer to be who I am and it's a very difficult question because I look at my children for example Mm. I have uh, two teenagers and they have no idea how life is and they are completely normal uh, two Aussie boys all what they care about is their sport and schooling and nothing in life is like what I uh, faced and looking at them, sometimes I feel that they are extremely vulnerable and extremely inexperienced. But by the same token, they're happy. Yeah. And I don't know what's right and what's wrong, to be honest. I sleep with one, one eye open. Still? And still, uh, because living through danger gives you the fear of the unknown. And you have to protect yourself with yeah. every single step. It's not a pleasant feeling, but... By the same token, it makes you very strong. Yeah. It, it builds the spirit of fighting and the determination inside you. So I am very strong. I am extremely strong. Yeah. But is that something good? Maybe not. Because uh, I waste a lot of energy in fighting and doing things that I want to do and, and fighting for what I believe in. And that's why I... Uh, I'm a very strong advocate uh, for human rights and very uh, strong fighter for helping other people. But something has to give in, and it's on the expense of my family. It's on the expense of uh, people that love me the most. I have nothing to hide about uh, the way my children suffer and the way they grew up uh, away from their father, uh, partially because of the heavy workload that I have as an orthopedic surgeon, uh, partially because of the extra work that I do because of, with osseointegration surgery and the innovative uh, technology and uh, partially because of my human right work and um, my charity work. I spend at least three months in a year uh, traveling overseas um, doing charity work and volunteer work and I'm going to Iraq in a couple of weeks doing operating over 150 oh, Iraqi soldiers that lost their limbs due to uh, the fight with ISIS. 
That's really amazing. Congratulations. You're doing really good work. Well, I don't know if it's a good work or not, but it is You're work. helping. We try our best to do good work, considering the the circumstances that yeah. these people live in. Unfortunately, they are very uh, delayed di- diagnosis. And yeah. they, they suffered from horrific accidents and injuries, and um, a lot of their injuries are irreparable, but we try to mend whatever we can. Um, considering the circumstances and considering what's available. Mm. I think Paige had a question. Mm. You were doing this, no? Oh, I was just wondering what kinds of challenges do you face when you go to Iraq as far as um, resources? Are they different? Do you have operating rooms, things like that? Yeah, I mean, Iraq as a country was the most advanced country in the developing world. Uh, So they had a very strong infrastructure in the 70s and the 80s. Unfortunately, due to the wars that Saddam Hussein took Iraq through, uh, the infrastructure got disintegrated. And um, but still comparable to good level health sector. Uh, I can give you an example. I travel all around the world. I go to India, I go to China, I go to Cambodia, I go to Lebanon, Jordan, Iraq, Egypt, and a lot of European countries. And I operate in, in many places. And I would put Iraq in the level of um, good Chinese hospitals, at the same level of Jordanian hospital and some Eastern European hospitals. So it's not that bad. They do have reasonable infrastructure. They're not as bad as the situation in Cambodia, where there's nothing. Uh, where you have people, local people, uh, there have to reoperate on patients just for the purpose of taking implants from them to recycle them and use them for another patient. That doesn't happen in Iraq. And, and I was shocked when I was in Cambodia operating where the local surgeon had to book um, uh, patients for a surgery just to remove whatever they put in them after the fracture healed to use it some, uh, somewhere else. Uh, because they have no other choice, and um, and I can see the rationale behind it, but it's completely alien to what we learned. Mm. Um, the infrastructure in Iraq have suffered dramatically, but still within the standards that we can operate and we can provide a service. Definitely, they have significant shortage of material, and there was massive level of corruption in the country. Things are changing now, and the current government is trying to help and trying to um, make the country stand on its feet again. So um, I think the future is brighter. Unfortunately, what happened with the invasion in 2004, it was uh, completely opposite to my expectation. I thought that the Americans are smart enough to go in, get rid of Saddam and implement a system, but uh, what they did, they uh, they were brilliant in invading the country and they were disastrous in running it. Mm. Um, they uh, allowed the looting and allowed uh, a major vacuum that was filled with religious leaders that were fighting in the name of God, each one fighting for, for their God against the other God, and uh, people suffered. Oh, that's really sad. Um, I am just conscious of time, so I might just ask you... Um, I talk too much. Fine. No, <laughs> it's interesting, so it's absolutely fine. I might just ask, do you have any sort of final messages that you would like to tell young people interested in health? Um, health and medicine is very noble, and it has to continue to be the way it is. It's not a business. It's not a way of earn living. Yeah. Um, if you want to earn living 
and become rich, do something else. Yeah. Ultimately, we are here as doctors, nurses and other medical professionals. We are here to serve the patients and it is a service job and we are here for the sake of helping patients and we should devote all our knowledge, ability and power in order to help people. When you are sick, you become vulnerable and you become weak and you um, ask for help and um, clinicians should look at people, look at patients as human beings and treat them as human beings and um, stay away from treating people like objects. The vast majority of patients are there uh, to ask for help. If you make a mistake, say sorry, and the patient will understand it and yeah. will forgive. I think that's good advice for life in general. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I might just wrap up by asking if you have a favourite book or something that's really inspired you or changed the way you think. But I will first just plug your book. It's called Walking Free and it is a very good book. And I also bought it for my brother after I read it because I was okay. so inspired by it. Yeah. And what's your second book going to be called? Does um, have a title well, yet? we haven't. Uh, actually, the, the publisher will choose the right. name. Right. Watch after, this space. Theoretically, <laughs> after consulting with me, but uh, usually the publisher will choose the name. But um, I don't know what name would be called, but uh, it will be After Walking Free, basically. Fantastic. Um, my favorite book that I read was War and Peace. Oh, the long one. I haven't read it. You <laughs> <laughs> told the story. Yeah. <laughs> and what did you get from that? What was your fa- like? What really inspired you about it? Well, I love history and I love reading about how people always fight each other for power. It is so sad because uh, if we go back to the basic principles that we all share the same blood, regardless of our race, regardless of our ethnicity or background, we are after all all human beings and if we treat each other the way we want to be treated the world will be a better place oh that's lovely i do actually read all the books that people recommend so now i'm going to have to <laughs> put that on my list finish it. <laughs> yeah all right well thank you so much for joining us today i know how busy you are we really appreciate it thank you very much for having me and thank, thank you, you Paige, for helping out of course thanks for having me and we'll see you next time on stories in public health <laughs>